Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. Yeah, we are continuing through a sermon series here on the spiritual disciplines. Before we get to the passage, I want to let you know where we're headed from here. Um, we're going to finish this current series next week, and uh, then Pastor Brian will be preaching on September 2nd, and then on Sunday, September 9th, we're going to start a new sermon series that I'm calling uh, Roots 66. And the reason this is titled this way is because I am going to attempt, by the grace of God, to go through the entire Bible that is one book. And uh, this will give us just a broad overview of the entire scriptures. Uh, I'm going to cheat a little bit at the beginning and do three sermons on Genesis because it's so foundational. But after that, we're going to look to do one sermon per Bible book. That'll be starting September 9th. So this is a really good opportunity to invite people to come to church and uh, to join us in this journey. So yes, this will take us at least 66 Sundays. So it'll take some time, but I'm very excited about it. And um, this uh, card um, is available at the Welcome Center, so you can grab some and hand them out to people. Thank you to Jesse Jordan for uh, designing this. Jesse's done a really good job, has designed our uh, sermon logos and sermon PowerPoint slides, so very appreciative of her good work. Route 66, starting September 9th. Okay, open your Bibles, please, to the book of Revelation. We'll be looking at chapter 7 today. I saw this article uh, earlier this week uh, about the state of South Carolina. State of South Carolina is considered a Bible Belt state, and apparently South Carolina is growing in its population, but one area where the church of South Carolina, or the state of South Carolina is not growing is with regard to the church. Um, Since 2011, 97 Protestant churches have closed of various different denominations um, including a church called Cedar Creek United Methodist Church. 274-year-old church dissolved last year. And so while people in South Carolina mostly profess to be Christians, what they're finding is that here in this Bible Belt area that less and less people are going to church. Now, many of you are aware of this trend. It seems to be happening throughout uh, our nation quite a bit. But it, it brings to mind this question that I think a lot of people are asking, which is, why go to church anyway? I mean, why is it important that we come here and worship together? And uh, that's what we're going to be talking about here this morning. What I want to uh, prove to you and uh, impress upon you is that worship is good for you. <laughs> And that there's a good reason for you to make this a priority. So again, we're going through a sermon series. It's called Basic Training. And what we're doing is just looking at the very um, basic spiritual disciplines that God calls us to engage in in order to grow and mature as Christians. And what I've been telling you here every Sunday is that you don't have to be an extraordinary person to live an extraordinary life. Instead, what God has done is He has given us very ordinary means by which we can live extraordinary lives. And that's our vision here at New Life, 
We want ordinary people to be empowered for extraordinary living through the power of the gospel. And so that's what we've been doing, just one Sunday at a time, looking at these very ordinary, mundane things. And that's generally what they are. You know, sometimes we tempt, tempt, uh, we're tempted to look for uh, something that's, that's re- maybe really dramatic or really powerful or something secret, something new. We're constantly looking for something that'll help us change and live a significant life and grow and mature. And what I'm trying to communicate in this sermon series is that really it always goes back to the basics. And, and these things are simple and they're easy. They're really things that anybody can do. Anybody can do these things. You don't have to be extraordinary. You just have to be willing to use the very ordinary means that are spiritual discipline. So we started with um, Bible reading. Next sermon we considered prayer. Uh, We considered after that uh, fasting. Dr. Spiegel led us in a sermon on that topic. Last week we talked about giving, the discipline of giving. And today we're talking about the discipline of worship. Worship. So, our text is Revelation chapter 7, and we're just going to look at verses 9 through 12, and uh, this is a passage that gives us a glimpse into the throne room of heaven. It shows us the, the culmination of our salvation, where this whole Christian project is headed. Its final destination is what we are about to read here. In Revelation 7, and what it shows us is a picture of the church of Jesus Christ worshiping the risen Christ. So, please stand for the reading of God's word, Revelation 7, 9 through 12. It says this, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. God, would you please open our hearts and minds by your spirit to behold wonderful things in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Why is worship good for you? That, that's the, the question that I, I want to seek to answer. And maybe it's a question that, that you've asked yourself. Maybe sometimes you're coming to church on Sunday mornings. You're just coming because you've been coming all your life. And uh, it's just habitual. But you're not really sure why. Uh, does it really matter that you come here on Sunday mornings? Are all these people who are leaving the church, are they on to something? <laughs> You know, we could all be in bed right now. We could all be sleeping on Sunday morning or out on the golf course today. But, but you're here today, right? So you, you must think that there's some value uh, in coming. And that's what I want to impress upon you, that there is a reason that worship is good for you. Three reasons. And the first is this. And there's many more reasons than this. But the first thing is this. It puts the world into proper perspective for you. When you come to worship on Sunday mornings, it puts the world into proper perspective. 
This passage that we've just read here from Revelation chapter 7, uh, it's pretty clear where this is taking place as you see the reference to um, uh, God sitting on his throne in verse 10. Uh, You see in verse 11, the angels standing around the throne and around the elders. So we have a picture here of heaven. This is a place where there is no sin, there is no sorrow. This is a picture of perfect worship. But you and I aren't living in heaven. We live on this earth in a place that has fallen, in a place that is broken, in a place that is troubled, And as we live our daily lives in a fallen, troubled, difficult, sad world, it can become very easy for us to lose perspective, to lose our sense of biblical understanding about what is happening in the world. And that can lead very easily to doubt, to discouragement, to the question of whether we even want to continue to serve Jesus, whether we want to be Christians, and it certainly can raise a question of why in the world would we want to spend our Sunday mornings in worship. We lose perspective so easily, but when we come to this place, the purpose of our coming is that our perspective will become realigned or recalibrated, we might say, and put in line with God's truth. So an example of this comes in the 73rd Psalm. Uh, If you want to turn there, you can. Um, Very important psalm, very encouraging psalm about this exact situation that, that I'm describing here. The psalmist in this particular psalm, is, is looking at the world, and he's looking at people in the world who have no regard for God, and he's getting discouraged, and he's losing perspective. And throughout the psalm, uh, the writer is saying things like, you know, I, I look at these people, and they have no regard for God, and yet they have no troubles in their life. Everything seems to be going so well for them. They're prosperous. They seem to be getting rich. They have sleek bodies, it says. I mean, they even look good. They're good-looking. They're in good shape. They have an easy life. They have a happy life. Things keep getting better for them. And yet, even while all that's happening, they're speaking against God. They're defying Him and living as if He doesn't even exist. And then the psalmist looks upon himself and basically says, here I am. I'm trying to do the right thing. I'm trying to obey God. I'm trying to live a righteous life, and my life is filled with trouble. I'm not getting rich. I don't feel so happy. I've got sorrow in my life. And the psalmist begins to lose perspective. Why am I doing this? Is this a waste of time following this God? Now, look what happens here. This is in verses 16 and 17. The psalmist says this, so for the first 15 verses, he's kind of been doing what I just described, and then he says, but when, well, but when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. I couldn't make sense of it until I went into the sanctuary of God, until I went to church, It's basically what he's saying. Until I went to the place where God's people were worshiping, then I discerned their end. Then I began to see things in proper perspective. I began to see that there is a judgment day coming and that those who defy God and live as if He doesn't exist will be judged. And that helps the psalmist 
put things back into perspective. I'm not living just for this life. I'm living for eternity. And so he goes on and he says, then whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Now he has proper perspective. His sorrow and his trouble haven't necessarily gone away, but he sees things properly. So every single Sunday when you come here, that, that's, that's what's really happening. God is at work realigning your perspective. And we have a, you know, a very intentional way of going about that here at New Life every Sunday. There are various elements of our worship service that are designed to do exactly this. So, um, for instance, um, we always begin with a call to worship. What's the purpose of that? Well, it reminds us that that's why we exist, to worship God. We were created to worship Him. We were redeemed to worship Him. This life is not about us primarily, it's about Him. He's at the center of the universe, and so our service begins with God calling us to look to Him and worship Him. We sing. Why do we sing? Well, it's because we're tuning our hearts to sing the praise of God. When we come to sing, we're not singing necessarily how we do feel about things, but how we should feel about things. We come in here and our hearts are sluggish and often very far from God, and we sing a song, and God by His Spirit retunes our heart. We confess our sins here every Sunday. It's a way of coming and humbling ourselves and bringing our shame and our guilt and unloading it before God. And then hearing the good news of the gospel, being reminded that God's grace always exceeds the extent of our sin. Always. There is always forgiveness for those who will call out to Him. We have an offering. An offering puts our wealth and our possessions in proper perspective, reminds us everything belongs to God and comes to us from Him. We talked about that last week in some detail. We pray. Prayer is a way of acknowledging that we're not alone in this universe, that there is a God who listens to us. We forget that, don't we, in our daily lives. We feel like we're alone and that God is not paying attention, so we pray as a way of reminding us that He is there. Sermons, that's what we're doing right now. The sermon is the way that God speaks through His Word to give instruction to you, to give encouragement to you to help you know how to live as Christians and to remind you of the eternal love of God for you in Christ. The service ends with a benediction. So as you leave here, you're being reminded that you have been sent out of here by God himself, and now you are his ambassadors to live in this world a life that is pleasing and glorifying to him. And we have sacraments here as well, baptism, the Lord's Supper. We don't do those every Sunday. We're doing the Lord's Supper today, um, but um, a lot more to be said about baptism and the Lord's Supper. We have a discipleship hour class going on actually right now. It started today that Eric Mowry is teaching on the sacraments, and so I would encourage you to attend that class if you want to learn more about our position and the way we practice these two sacraments. It starts at uh, 9 a.m. here on Sunday mornings. 
Also, we've been making reference to this worship booklet that we have. If you open your worship booklet to page five, you will see a list of all these elements of worship with a little more detail about what each of them is. So I would direct your attention there as well. John Calvin said that we ought to look to the sanctuary as a kind of a gymnasium where we get a spiritual workout every time we come. And I think that's a healthy way to look at it. I mean, you don't want to take that analogy too far as we come here, but that's what we're expecting, a spiritual workout where our perspective is realigned and we are weaned off the distortions that the world sometimes brings to us. So uh, some questions that I want you to ask. Is Sunday morning worship a priority for me? Do I or am I willing to say no to some things so that I can make sure that I can say yes to worship on Sunday morning? What kinds of activities am I involved in and what kinds of activities are my children involved in that are interfering with my ability to get to worship on Sunday mornings? Students, how are your plans for Saturday night going to affect your willingness and ability to be in worship on Sunday morning? These are things worthy to consider. Friends, if, if you're missing worship Sunday after Sunday, what's going to happen is that you're going to be squeezed slowly into the mold of the world. There's just no way to avoid it. <laughs> You've got to be here so that your perspective can be realigned. Uh, okay, the second thing, another reason why worship is good for you is it reminds you that you're not alone. We come here together, you know, Bible reading, prayer, those are individual private tasks that we do, but it's also important that we engage in spiritual disciplines that are corporate, that are together. And if it's true that there are less people in church and that there are fewer Christians overall and that we are in a post-Christian culture, as the observers tell us, what this means is that it's probably likely that you're going to feel more and more lonely as a Christian in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your families, at school, in your classrooms, you're going to feel like, am I the only one who worships Jesus anymore? <laughs> Do you remember Elijah had that exact question in 1 Kings 19 after he confronted Ahab and he said to God, I'm the only one left. And God reminded him that that wasn't exactly true, but that's how we can sometimes feel it just seems like so many people that we know have no interest in the gospel, no interest in eternal things. We feel lonely. Well, look at what it says here in Revelation 7. In verse 9, who is it who is worshiping? A great multitude, it says, that no one could number. So many people worshiping that it was not even able to be counted. And we can forget that. We lose, again, our perspective when we look around us. We feel like we're the only one. Revelation is saying that people from all over the world are worshiping Jesus. Do you see this? They're from every nation. They're from every tribe. They're from all peoples. They're from different languages. There's this diversity of people from all over the world, all worshiping around the throne. 
That's such an encouragement. When we come here on Sunday mornings, we might not necessarily see all nations represented here, but when we come, we're reminded we're not the only one. We're all in this together, right? We look around and we see each other. It's like there are others who are with me in this task of following Jesus and worshiping him. When I taught in China in uh, the first week of July, I happened to um, preach a sermon on July 4th, so Independence Day here in the United States, but of course in China, that holiday is not observed. So I remember before I I preached, I said to the the Chinese students there, I said, you know, um, I'm kind of sad that I'm not able to be at home um, celebrating Independence today, but it's more important and it's better that I'm here with my brothers and sisters in China. It, it was better for me to be with the people of God wherever they might be than it is for me to necessarily be with people from my own nation because the people surrounding the throne are not Americans. I mean, there will be Americans there, but these people surrounding the throne are from all over the world, all different kinds of people. And we need to be reminded of that, particularly as our culture becomes increasingly post-Christian and we feel so lonely. Now, there are some who might say, okay, yeah, so what we see here in Revelation 7 is this picture of the universal church, the universal church, people from all over the world worshiping. And since I believe in Jesus, I'm part of the universal church, and what that means is I don't need the local church And I would suggest to you that that is a mistake. (laughs) You do need the local church. I mean, we can see throughout the scriptures um, how God's people were gathering to worship. Here's Acts chapter 2, day by day, attending the temple together. They attended the temple together. They broke bread in their homes. They received the food with gladness. They praised God. They had favor with all the people. Very early on, the Christians were getting together and worshiping. Acts 20, verse 7, on the first day of the week, when we were gathered together, breaking bread, hearing Paul speak, the early Christians made it a habit. This is the first reference, actually, to worship on the first day of the week, and that's why we worship on Sundays, even today. And this is summed up in Hebrews 10, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. So, yes, we're all part of the universal church, but the universal church praising Jesus in heaven is expressed when the local church praises Jesus on earth. And you simply can't say, ah, I can't wait to get to heaven and worship with the saints in heaven and at the same time have no interest in worshiping with the saints on earth. That that is not an option. It's a package deal. They go together. Now, I know what some people say. It's like, you know, well, you know, worship on earth in the local church can sometimes be kind of painful. We look at uh, Revelation 7 and we see this perfect worship here displayed for us. And that makes us mindful that the worship that we perform here on earth is imperfect. (laughs) And, And we find ourselves, you know, thinking, well, 
you know, that sermon wasn't so good, and, you know, I don't know about the music, and I'm not sure I like the color of the walls, and, you know, the microphone never works, and, you know, and, and we're frustrated sometimes with worship that takes place on earth. But, friends, you, you got to remember, we're not promised perfect worship on earth. The perfect worship is coming for us in Revelation 7, but until then, we're just practicing. We're, we're just getting ready for that perfect worship, and C.S. Lewis said this really well. C.S. Lewis said, you know, it, it can sometimes be the case that our worship is about a 99.9% .9 failure. <laughs> he said, very often, it just, it, it just doesn't work out so well, but Lewis says this, comparing worship to musicians in a symphony, he says, the tuning up of the orchestra can be itself delightful, but only to those who can in some measure, however little, anticipate the symphony. I mean, we're getting ready for the symphony that's described for us here in Revelation chapter 7. That's promised to us. We're going to get it right one day. <laughs> it's going to happen. But until then, we have to be patient. We're practicing. We're tuning our instruments every Sunday morning. But what's most important is that we're doing it together. We're doing it together with God's people. Last thing, another reason why worship is good for you is that it turns your heart toward Jesus. Turns your heart toward Jesus. No, notice who the object of the worship is here in Revelation 7. Verse 11, it says, The angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell on their faces before the throne and they worshiped God. God is at the center of their worship. At the end of verse 12, these praiseworthy words are given. Wisdom, thanksgiving, honor, power, might be to our God. There's a worship of God here. But there's another very important question that we have to ask as we look at this text. And it is this. It's how can we worship this God? In what way will that take place? What is the means by which that can happen? And we see what is listed for us here in this vision. If you look at verse 10, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne. And look at this addition, this phrase, very important, and to the lamb, and to the lamb. Who is, who is the lamb? It says it also in verse 9. Um, all the uh, people from different nations, people in language, are standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Do, do you remember John the Baptist in, in the Gospel? When he saw Jesus Christ come on the scene, John pointed to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God is Jesus Christ. He is the Passover lamb who was sacrificed. He is the one who was at the center of this worship because he is the one who makes it possible for us to worship God. There is only one way that you can know God, have relationship with God, and worship him, and it is through the shed blood of the lamb of God on the cross. For you to worship properly, that is the first thing that you have to do, is turn from your sin and receive this Jesus as your Savior and go to God through Him. The purpose of worship, friends, the purpose of worship here is not primarily to help you be a better parent. 
The purpose of worship is not primarily to help you know how to manage your finances. The purpose of this worship service on Sunday mornings is not to make you feel good about yourself. The purpose of worship here is not to mobilize you for social justice. The purpose of worship is to exalt Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who was slain before the foundation of the world so that we can be saved, redeemed, sins forgiven, eternal life through faith alone. These other things that I've mentioned, they might be byproducts of worship, but they're not the primary reason that we come because that's not what we're going to be doing in heaven for all eternity. We're going to be worshiping Jesus. Friends, the, way, the reason that this is so important is because Jesus is the only one who can satisfy the hunger in your heart for worship. Friends, all of you are worshipers. Whether you're a Christian or an atheist or an agnostic, whatever your worldview is, by virtue of being a human being made in the image of God, you are a worshiper. What did Bruce Springsteen sing? Everybody's got a hungry heart. Right? That's what he's saying. We're, our hearts are all hungering for something bigger and greater than ourselves. So the question really is not whether you're going to worship, it's what are you going to worship? Who are you going to worship? Do you even know what and who you worship? You worship somebody, you worship something. It might be your husband, might be your wife, might be your job, might be your house, might be your car, might be your money, might be your reputation, might be your sexuality, whatever it is. We all have a tendency to take this hunger for worship and to attach it to things that won't fulfill the hunger of our hearts. That's, that's our fundamental problem, attaching our hearts to what won't satisfy. What Augustine tells us is that your heart will be restless until it finds its rest in Jesus. So that's what we're seeking to do. Every Sunday when we come here, we want to turn your heart by the Holy Spirit away from those idols that your heart is clinging to like a parasite, to, to, to loosen those clenches from those things and to focus your heart and your mind where it should be, on the Lamb of God. I heard the story of uh, some American pastors who uh, visited London back in the 1800s. Uh, they wanted to learn from the great preachers in London, and so they were traveling from church to church, and they went to one church, huge church, three, 4,000 people, and the pastors left, and they said, wow, what a great preacher. And then that night, they went to Charles Spurgeon's church, and they left, and they said, wow, what a great Savior. <laughs> I mean, that's the difference, friends, between a Christian worship service and a non-Christian one. That's the goal, the desire of us here at New Life, that we would be constantly enamored and filled with wonder at all that Christ has done for us. So we come to worship 
to gain perspective. We come to worship to be reminded we're not alone. We come to worship so that our hearts would be turned toward Jesus. And we also come to worship that we could commune with Jesus at His table, the Lord's Supper. And so we're going to do that now, and I'm going to pray, and we're going to sing, and then we're going to come and feed on the body of Christ. Let's pray. God in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for, um, for saving us and redeeming us so that we can worship you and find in our Savior the fulfillment of all of our longings. Lord, I pray, make that happen here at New Life, that our perspective would always be realigned here on Sunday mornings, that we would be reminded that we are part of the community of faith, and that we would always be turned to our loving Savior. In His name we pray. Amen.